0: The opinions, views and beliefs expressed are those of our guest speakers and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Trinity or the policies of the company thereof. The content of the show does not constitute any legal or medical advice and is provided for the general insight and guidance. If you require specific legal, medical or any professional advice, you should contact a specialist or a qualified practitioner. Please note, Mindful Trinity is a non-religious, non-sectarian organization, and we are not affiliated to any religious organization. How you
1: treat others is how you will eventually be treated yourself. I think they sometimes call it the golden rule. And if I live with this one truth in mind, I think so many other positive benefits will automatically come almost as a side effect.
0: Hello and welcome to our 11th episode of Season 2 of Mindful Trinities podcast, where we collectively heal, learn, grow, advance, and ultimately move forward together. I am your host, Vaishnavi Charan. Today's special guest is from the UK. He has been delivering groundbreaking wisdom for audiences around the globe for over 25 years. His unique ability to marry modern research with Eastern wisdom as positively impacted people across the globe. So, welcome to Ed Anova. I'm so grateful that you accepted my invite. I know it took a while for you to get here, but nevertheless, I'm still very grateful and I'm quite honored that you agreed to be on this platform, educating me and ed- educating our listeners and the viewers. Thank you again. That's
1: really no, thank you. I want to say um, well, a real pleasure and honor it is to be in this dialogue with you, Vaishnavi, and uh, look forward to our discussion.
0: Awesome. Maybe let's start off by telling us who really is Id Enova?
1: <laughs> That's a very interesting question. So, um, I, I was born in London, um, born and grew up in London. Um, I always had an adventurous streak and throughout my teens, especially late teens and also throughout university, uh, where I studied um, philosophy and economics at the London School of Economics, I was always looking at different systems of knowledge, really trying to understand more about the human condition, trying to understand more about deep philosophy, psychology, and I was always very much interested in personal development and transformation. And then also marrying that with my interest in Eastern philosophy, et cetera, um, especially what we call the bhakti um, understanding. Um, I just feel it's been an an incredible journey of learning, growth. And what we've tried to do, especially over the last 25 years or so, is to find ways and avenues of sharing some of those insights um, as widely as possible with many diverse communities. So as part of this, we've often given presentations around the globe, America, I was very lucky to be in South Africa yeah. on several occasions, and um, it's just been a wonderful journey. So that I guess in a nutshell is who I am. I'm a very inquisitive person, very much interested in wisdom, human development, transformation and, and consciousness raising as well.
0: Lovely. It's actually very interesting where you speak about consciousness, because I know a lot of people are speaking about mindfulness and they are looking at ways how to still the mind. I'm personally very intrigued by the mind because I always, I always feel the mind as the mind of its own. But I know consciousness is on a deeper level. Maybe tell us more about that.
1: Absolutely. It's my real conviction that in the in that in the fast paced modern life that we all lead, that there is and there will be increasing focus on consciousness. So our fundamental sense of awareness about ourselves, our lives, our emotions, our relationships, if we're able to refine that consciousness, develop that consciousness, and and this is what I see to be the real heart of meditation practices, mindfulness practices, different spiritual traditions as well, is all around the development of consciousness and conscious awareness and you know since I was 13 so maybe over 30 years ago I started meditating and I found that it gave me a tremendous um, capacity to handle and to adapt to different changes in life to have a clearer sense of the world that we're living in a clearer sense of who I am a clearer sense of who other people are so I really feel that It is foundational on an individual, a family, um, a national and a societal level, a global societal level, that we have more understanding of developing our consciousness. And by so doing, I see it as a foundation that enhances everything else that we experience through life and allows us to interact in the world in a much more wise and powerful way.
0: It's actually very interesting and very beautifully put as well. I've actually been doing a lot of research on this, as I mentioned. And from what I've gathered, that when we speak about the mind, we speak about intelligence, we speak about, like I said, mindfulness. And I actually read a text recently, I'm sure you would know more about this as well. In a sacred text in Bhagavad Gita, I read there about intelligence being higher than, than the mind, being Mm -hmm. higher than intelligence is the soul within. And a lot of people actually identify with the body. But Mm -hmm. there are fortunate few that identify with the soul because once the soul leaves the body, there's no use for the body. Maybe tell us more about that.
1: Absolutely. I think this is a a central topic of our times, Vaishnavi. Mm -hmm. So we see in the world increasing polarization. We see in the world increasing in-group, out-group. And these polarizations can be on the basis of nationality, political persuasion, for so many different reasons. Part of it is because we have not yet as a society become as uh, adept or expert in recognizing and appreciating and complementing the differences, whether it's differences in terms of generational differences, differences in terms of gender, differences in terms of race etc but but what I I really see is the key element here is that when we go to that level of consciousness or in some traditions they call it the soul then we can start to really appreciate this idea of unity with diversity then we can really start to appreciate how actually I am my brother's and sister's keeper because you know uh, I think Martin Luther King was talking about this in some of his amazing speeches, about this idea of not judging by the color of the skin, but by the content of the character. And so I feel that with all the challenges that humanity is currently navigating, whether it's climate crisis, social unrest, et cetera, COVID, I think that there's a great opportunity and a great need to try to look at the fundamentals of the human condition. And for me, what I feel is that when we can see what keeps us united, then from that platform, we can appreciate the diversity in its most um, human and healthy regards.
0: There was something that's very interesting that you just mentioned about unity in diversity. How do you suggest uh, for us as human beings to to work around it or maybe there's a central point for us to yeah I know we have to put God in the center of everything that we do but some people are not godly people mm-hmm. what do you suggest how do you think that we should work around this to make it a part of our lives so we don't need to keep on going around in circles and keep on reminding ourselves because it's already engraved in our mind and we are conditioned or reconditioned in a positive way how can we work around it?
1: It's a very great question. I think that in the, in the society and the world that we are in at this time, we're so much bombarded with different slogans, adverts, you know, you know YouTube videos, whatever it is. I see that the, the message, the deeper messages such as unity with diversity, you know, treating everyone with the same love and respect and appreciation that we would like to be treated with. In order for these things to, to go deeper, I think the first thing we have to really understand is, and this is a, this is a classic idea in many, in many wisdom traditions. The first thing we have to understand is that how I'm dealing with other people is exactly what I'm preparing to experience ultimately myself. You know, so in different traditions, they may say what goes around comes around, etc. I, I always had this saying, which I, which I often, you know, bring up in conversation with different people. And I truly believe this, that the love you give pursues you. The idea being here that it's not just a question of doing what, I'm, what I ought to do, but taking it a little bit deeper, understanding that my true self-interest lies in the way that i deal with others and that there's a there's a natural interdependence and interconnection throughout all of humanity and i think that if we can if we can establish this point this root this essential truth then so many other positive things come as a symptom of really accepting this this fact this reality so I, nowadays in my life, I'm always looking to see what is the essential truth? What is the fundamental um, key that I need to understand? And if I, if I can imbibe that in my heart, in my lifestyle, in my interactions, then and only then can I help humanity to do that in a more progressive and consistent way. It, it very much speaks towards, to the words of Gandhi. He said, I must become the change that I wish to see in others. So it's one thing for me to tell people about, you know, we should treat people like this, but if I'm living this, if I'm doing this on a day-to-day basis, if I'm experiencing the positive results of such an orientation in my life, then people start to notice. I often say that people, they're not so much interested in the cause, they're more interested in the effect. So let's say that because I treat people with dignity, respect, and appreciation, let's say that that makes me a stronger person, a more fulfilled person. Let's say that I tend to have better relationships as a result, better sense of integrity, etc. And then people start to notice this. Ed, I've just noticed that in your relationships, they seem to be really positive. Or I've noticed that, you don't seem to get affected by the things which disturb other people and that's the effect and then they start to wonder what is it that you're doing differently that's allowing you to experience these positive benefits in your own life and I think at that point especially when we're able to imbibe and live something and people ask what how are you doing this then when we speak about the the underlying truth that we we're trying to you know embody or to live in our lives then i think it has a much deeper and much more profound impact so i'm a i'm a i'm a deep believer that we have to be that change first and foremost i'm a deep believer that what we're trying to do is is try to understand what's the essential truth because we can give people a million different formulas techniques practices and they're useful there's a place for them but i think the root of it i think that's something that we often miss i think it's something that's often missed in personal development and even sometimes in different communities which are trying to as we said develop consciousness if we if we don't have just a few essential truths that we are reminding ourselves about on a day-to-day basis we may we may miss we may Um, we may miss the essence and then if you give people a thousand techniques it's hard to remember them all and I've got to remember this and I've got to remember that but if it's like no no I just want you to understand that actually how you treat others is how you will eventually be treated yourself I think they sometimes call it the golden rule and if I live with this one truth in mind I think so many other positive benefits will automatically come almost as a side effect.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. I mean, this is the age of information, and it can be overload of information. And it it's can the age be. of misinformation and over Exactly, and exactly. Yeah. It has become overwhelming as well, especially if you want to work on yourself. I mean, personal development is it right now, because everyone they are noticing things in their own lives that they need to make changes to. Maybe you spoke about roots, root cause, and a lot of them actually go back to childhood trauma. But yes. what about trauma that we cannot remember at all? I mean, like past lives and things like that, because it does exist. A lot of us don't talk about it because a lot of us don't know about it. Um yeah. yeah. Do you have anything to maybe share on that?
1: Yeah. I- I, for many years, I've been, you know, studying and looking into, you know, Eastern traditions of wisdom, especially the Bhakti tradition. And one of the most amazing things that I've picked up on my journey is this idea that actually, let's say, let's say that there were there are certain experiences that impacted us in the past, in our childhood, etc. Especially, and I found this in my own journey as well especially as I try to live in a way that is introspective and honest. So introspective means I look within, honest means I communicate authentically without. I found that by these two dynamics, my own inner, inner um, observation and speaking to close and trusted individuals, I find that it really helps to, to ultimately resolve all of these challenges in the best possible way. But why? It's because the, the conclusions of all my past experiences are present in my day-to-day interactions and character. Right? We, um, my wife and I, we created this model called the self-esteem spectrum. And it was a model looking at self-confidence, self-esteem, Um, And we did it through the lens of a a particular framework from the Bhagavad Gita, from the Bhakti tradition, which is called um, the Three Modes. So healthy self-esteem is symptomatic of what we call goodness. So there's balance, there's knowledge, there's awareness, there's principle, there's integrity, etc. Then you had excessive self-esteem. So where you're talking about arrogance or pride, etc., So where an individual has a superiority complex, they feel that they're better than others. Therefore, they have the right to exploit, to manipulate, to cheat, et cetera. And that was um, symptomatic of what the Bhagavad Gita calls passion, the mode of passion, where one is not passion in in a good sense, because sometimes it's used in the self-help industry in a positive sense, but this kind of passion is more a sense of, a passion based upon selfishness, right? So I don't care sufficiently about other people. I'm only concerned for my own wants, not even my own needs, but my own excessive wants. And then in this particular model, we had what we call um, low self-esteem. And that was symptomatic of what we call ignorance. And the ignorance here is that I, I failed to understand in a deep way, not superficially, But I fail to understand in a deep way that I am just as valuable as everyone else inherently and this this is really important it's not the sense of value because of what I've achieved or what I've consumed or what I've gained externally but it's being rooted in a deep sense that I'm inherently valuable and valued so when the ignorance of that inherent value is not there Mm-hmm. then this, was, this is considerate or, or this relates to what we call low self-esteem or an inferiority complex. So we were discussing these ideas in a particular model and the key point was that as we, as we learn to balance and develop ourselves, we have a more healthy sense of self-value and that healthy sense of self-value allows us to stand firm when we need to to have integrity, and also to relate to others in a positive and healthy way. It's, it's, it's the idea, and this is mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, it's the idea of what they call in Sanskrit, which is an ancient language, samadashana, right? that we see with equal vision. We see that everyone is inherently and of equal value.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely interesting. You know, because, I mean, uh, we're also living in an age where people are are speaking about self-love, self-care, and they are trying to research various tools, how to overcome whatever is weighing them down. But I also feel like what you just mentioned, I feel there's a very thin line, because if we are caring about ourselves so much, sometimes we can, you know, our ego can take over. And sometimes, although we we are wanting to, to care for ourselves in such a way that we also care for the, for the next person. But there are sometimes where we, yeah, that's why I say there's a, there's a very thin line. Some, sometimes something may happen where you tend to not care for that person as much as you want to because you feel that you are important and you are good enough. Maybe people neglected you in the past. How do you overcome that? And how do you actually stand grounded in a way of your your feelings and your emotions
1: and how you treat the next person, including yourself. Absolutely, there's, there's a lot there. So I wanna kind of share, touch on a few of the points, which I think okay. you raised, which I think are very important. Okay. And the first point is, with our particular model about self-esteem, this is exactly why we define self-esteem, not just loving yourself, but actually valuing yourself and others equally. The real healthy self-esteem is actually a relational factor. It's not just a one-sided, this is how I feel about myself. Actually, if there's healthy self-esteem, it's I treat myself and others well. And it goes back to what we said earlier, this idea that what goes around comes around. So that's the first point. The second point is that this is important because if I have the healthy understanding of self-esteem, then I know when I'm going outside of that healthy boundary, because I can start to see that I'm treating myself better than people than I treat other people, right? Or I'm treating myself worse than I'm treating other people. That, these are immediately some warning signs that actually this may not work. And the reason, one of the key reasons why this doesn't work is because if I don't look after myself, it becomes difficult for me to sustain my interactions with other people in a healthy way you see, that behind low self-esteem and behind arrogance and pride is a misconception. The misconception is that I can continue to have wholesome interactions with other people while I myself am being neglected, you see. So there are many people who have this misconception. They think that they're being a good person by neglecting themselves. But you often see that in the long term, what happens is they've neglected themselves They they think they're being a good person by doing it. Now they become a burden upon everyone else. But actually the proper and healthy um, dynamic is I look after myself nicely so that I can also interact with other people in a healthy way. I can't help a person who's drowning if I myself am drowning. So I think that there's a very, very natural, again, relational, this idea that what I'm doing for others, uh, what I'm doing for myself inherently affects what i'm doing with others i've seen in my own life in the, in the life of many people that when when an individual does not have healthy compassion and care for themselves <clears throat> it's very easy for them to become overly critical towards others I, I was interacting with a friend recently we were talking about this and they had some concern about someone that they knew and they felt this person is unnecessarily harsh etc and, and I could understand that, and I did mention this to him, I said, we should have compassion. The fact that they're so harsh is a symptom of their own overly critical tendency towards themselves. You know? And that's, it's the dynamic that they have towards themselves which causes them to have some unhealthy dynamic towards other people. And that's why I'm so enthusiastic about this topic. That actually the change begins with me. We often in our modern society give away our power, and that has a lot to do with this idea that if everyone else were to change, I would be okay. And that immediately puts us in the space of a victim. That means I'm dependent upon what other people do for my own equilibrium. Whereas interestingly enough, literature such as the Bhagavad Gita, it talks about this idea of equipoise, right? having this sense of balance in both positive and negative circumstances. So I'm very, I've got tremendous conviction about this, that the more we work on ourselves, which, which we can always do, and which there's never any bar to doing, there's no obstacle for us working on ourselves. The more that we work on ourselves, the more I work on myself, the more that that naturally from the, from the ground up transforms every other dynamic and relationship that I'm involved in and can bring that to a healthy sense of balance. I'll also add that when we, when we want to be self-aware, it often requires some conscious practice in the beginning stages until it becomes um, a habit. So one of the things I've been doing for many years, decades in fact, is journaling. So keeping some diary, just writing out my thoughts, my feelings, the events that happened in the day, and my reflections on those interactions or events. And and I found that it's a tremendously powerful way of bringing more conscious awareness. Another thing I do is I, I have some very good, close relationships where I can speak my mind. But not just speak my mind, but I can get some honest feedback from the people around me. So I'll say something and they can say, yes, that makes sense. Or they can say, you know what? I think there's another way of looking at this, Ed. You know, or did you consider X, Y and Z? And I'll be like, oh, actually, no. You know what? That's, that's a fair point. I didn't consider this angle. I was, um, <laughs> I was speaking to someone recently. I was going back and forth, sending some WhatsApp message with one person. And we had some misunderstanding. And then I shared it with a friend and, and they shared something with me. This was just last night, actually. They shared with me, said, said Ed, you're, ex- you're expressing yourself from the efficiency point of view, right? And, which is completely true. And they said that if you look what this person is saying, they're expressing themselves from the point of view of the relationship. And I'd done a lot of study on, on different way people express themselves and so on. but. I'd forgotten it in this particular interaction. And I was reminded, I was like, okay, I got it. So then I changed my communication with that person. Rather than just giving the facts, I started by reminding them how much I appreciate them, how much it was great spending time with them. And, that, and then I explained what I did and why I did it, etc. But I, I gave more of the emphasis to the relationship aspect. And it made a huge difference to the communication. So these, these are some ways in which I think to your question, we can be more mindful, we can be more self-aware and if we start in this very intentional way as with anything that we do regularly it becomes second nature and we reap even more benefits over time.
0: That was so beautiful, you you made so many wonderful points, I, like I said I've been taking down notes there as you speak and you mentioned something about, about journaling and I've been journaling for many years, in fact, but over the years, my journaling experience has changed. I think as a teenager, I used to complain a lot in my journals, and that's why I had to get rid of them. (laughs) And as I I became an adult, my journaling became more of an internal experience. I think in the past, I used to complain about how I'm feeling, how people are treating me, and everything was about me. It wasn't about next person so I think I was very selfish in the past but mm. I, I think journaling has helped me to um, get, get to the root and get to know myself better because I mean if you don't know yourself good enough no one else will be able to understand you. So now when I'm journaling it's um, when I say internal it's more of an internal journey. I recently wrote a journal it's called my inner wellness journey and yeah it's already out on amazon so i just wanted to share um what journaling has done for me and it's become such a huge tool in in our communities where everyone is using this um in order to move forward because it becomes very heavy when you're keeping all of your thoughts in your mind how do you how do you move forward with heavy baggage you carry in your mind and most of the time baggage turns into toxins into the in the body in the bloodstream um there's one tool at least we have something in common we are also using that maybe you want to speak more about that
1: absolutely i think you made such an important point i think in the modern society that we live in with this information overload there's already so much coming at people and then that to add to the information overload We have an emotion overload as well, where so many different emotions are triggered. And to your point, unless we have some some means by which we can offload and process those feelings and emotions, they create toxins in the mind and ultimately toxins in the body as well. So I, I think that's an absolutely wonderful point. There are many things that people can do in this area of journaling and there's different journaling approaches. When I was researching this, um, a while ago, I, I, I came to this understanding that some people, when they journal, they may have certain set questions that they may ask themselves, right? So it could, one could be, what were the key events that happened today? How did I feel about those events? For me, one of the things I, I again, have a strong conviction about is that there are no accidents. I, I always look at life as a school of love. So it's like a, a dynamic classroom where there are constant opportunities to learn, to grow, to experience. And so one of the things that I try to often do in my life is try to look for patterns and to try to see what, am I, you know, what is life trying to teach me? What is this situation, this individual, um, this challenge, what am I meant to learn from this? So one way that I think journaling can be incredibly exciting, incredibly exciting, is to have that kind of reflection. Because we see in life, and I think many of our viewers will, will relate to this, that sometimes we have recurring patterns. I, I, uh, so I, I, I do regular posting on Instagram, and there was one post that I did a while ago, and the key point was that if we find that we change our circumstances and we still meet the same challenges, then it, doesn't, then it means that it's not the circumstances that need to change. It means that it's us who need to change. And I think many of us can relate to that, right? So we're in one situation, we, we, we come across someone who we, we don't get along with, and we think, you know what, it's their problem, so we'll go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere else, and then we'll meet exactly the same kind of individual, and then we go somewhere else and we meet the same kind of individual. Now, having seen that recurring pattern, if we're a bit more introspective, if if we've been making our journaling entries regularly, we may notice, Holden, I, I wrote about this kind of individual before. I'm writing about them again and again. So in this journaling practice, what am I meant to learn? Maybe the lesson is, That when you come across these types of individuals, we should respond differently. Maybe it's not about running away or going somewhere else, but actually changing some dynamic about how I relate to that kind of individual. I'm I'm a real firm believer in that. And I think that I've seen in my own life that unless the lesson is learned, the lesson is repeated.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. Lesson will keep on presenting themselves very beautifully sometimes (laughs) until you learn from it. Absolutely. So, I've also been checking your stuff on Instagram and it is very inspirational. Thank you so much for doing that and sharing knowledge on, you know, we have social media, which is so amazing where we are reaching people across the globe. A lot of people use social media for various reasons. I know I actually use it for knowledge sharing as well and also learning um, because I mean you know people say that you need to be educated and it doesn't cost if you have technology if you have a device you can learn but it also depends who you're learning from I speak mm-hmm. about that because I know life coaches are a big thing right now and a lot of people are presenting themselves as as life coaches and a lot of People also seeking life coaches. How do you um, suggest we should seek a bona fide teacher or a bona fide um, mentor, yeah, or life coach to actually help us on this journey?
1: Thank you very much again for a brilliant question. But I guess the first thing is, what do I want to learn? So I classify that there are different levels of learning. And it touches upon something we spoke about earlier. Some people, they want to learn about things at a level of the symptoms, right? So, you know, they want to learn, like, techniques. How do I, if I say this to this person, how do I get them to do what I want, et cetera, et cetera? That's, there's a place for it, but that's more on the superficial level. I found that for deep change, what we're looking for are teachers who will help us to understand fundamental truths not just to understand it in a, in a theoretical sense but ideally to understand it in what we call an embodied sense that means that they themselves have understood the lesson so deeply that it's now part of them so not only are their words teaching but their example is also a teaching in of itself Now, such teachers, to be honest, are very rare, but the power and the and the benefit is very obvious. It's very effective and efficient. Because when I have someone who's a mentor or a guide and they know the subject matter really well, but they've embodied it, then what happens? There's an extra layer of learning, and this is really key. What we've seen in many areas of the personal development industry and self-help industry now is people have all kinds of different techniques and ideas but they won't have the refinement to know how to apply these techniques according to the time, the place, the circumstance, and the individual. (laughs) I was in a class, and um, the speaker was talking about relationships. And um, he was saying that, you know, sometimes a a man will will read a book on how to, you know, how to get along with his partner, let's say. And, um, you know, the example that was given: Let's say he's married, and his wife, um, you know, um, they're about is dressed up, and they're about to go to some um, event, some social event. And she'll say, "How do I look?" He said, "Oh, you look great tonight," you know, like that. And he read that in the book, so he thought, "I'm going to save that." And then she smiles, and she's having thinks great. I've I've got it right. But because he doesn't understand the deeper principle, then the next time they're going out, and she says, "How do I look?" he says the same sentence, um, you look great tonight. And she notices he says the same thing all the time. So she says to him, so what, you know, what, you know, what is it that you like about the way I look? And he's got no answer for that because his book didn't tell him what to say to that question. So he's understood things on a very superficial level, say this, but he doesn't understand the key point which is be appreciative right? He doesn't understand the key point. Notice, pay attention to your partner and notice something about them that you genuinely appreciate. So that when you say it, it's not coming so much from the head, but it's coming more from the heart. Because we all know that when we express something from a deep place, it's much more powerful. It's much more authentic because literally the the words, the tone, the, the body language, the subtle micro expressions, they're all consistent with what's being said it's much more powerful so i feel that we really need to seek out people who are not only people who have some information or understanding but people who live that understanding and especially i think the key thing that we as a society need to be focused on more and more is people who truly understand how to live life in such a way that one is truly happy and satisfied in the deepest way, not just on the level of economics, not just on the level of social interaction, but who have a a real deep wisdom about the meaning of life, why we are here and how, especially through practices such as meditation and different spiritual truths and so on, how they can live a life where they're able to experience the deepest quality of happiness, fulfillment, and self-realization. But such people are very rare, but I think it begins with having that desire. If I really desire that, then I will start to make the endeavor to reach out, to read, study, and find people who are on that particular level. And of course, there are are various traditions which which give access to such, such, um, let's say, teachers, and especially you know, in my experience, traditions such as the bhakti tradition are, are very powerful in that regard.
0: It's very interesting that you actually mentioned all of these things, especially about um, seeking your teacher. And I know it, it actually do, does work because I mean, even with me, I'm always journaling and I write things. Like last year, December, I wrote something in my journal and a few few weeks later, I saw it manifest, and I said, "Wow! Imagine three weeks." So maybe it, my my visualization was so strong, or maybe my desire was so strong. And well, I'm trying. I'm trying to connect it to God because that is the higher purpose. And when I mean, I'm 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 still learning. That is why I'm on this earth anyway to learn. But you mentioned something about living through introspection and honesty. Sometimes we, we we tend to live this this lifestyle where we want to be honest. Um, we want to be always introspective of ourselves, and because we become this this person, whereby we actually checking everything that we are doing. Sometimes we may also <laughs> introspect not for us but for the next person we may actually find false in them do you have anything about about fault finding because i mean i always say when you when you look for false you will find false and sometimes it actually becomes toxic you keep on telling something telling someone something but you're not saying it with love you care about the person and you want to help them but it's also a relationship what relationship you have with that person even with family it happens all the time
1: <laughs> yeah it's a wonderful point. I, I've, I've had a post on this recently. T- the essence of it, and, and this is something I've seen through, you know, introspection, also through trial and error. We want to be two things. We want to be in touch with the reality and respond with compassion. There's, there's two camps here. Some people, they're realistic, but they're so realistic that, as you said, it just, it just, they're just skeptical, hard-hearted, Looking for faults, distrustful as a default. And and that's unhealthy because it creates like a poison in the heart. It creates a certain certain paranoia. Wherever I go, I'm assuming that that people are going to do something very negative, and you become very defensive and survivalist in mentality. But there's also the other extreme the other extreme where people, they may be well intentioned, but it goes to the point of being sentimental. So they fail to recognize the realities of a situation. And that can be also very destructive because for such people, by being sentimental at first, they then find that they get exploited. And then what happens? Then from going to one extreme of being sentimental, they go to the other extreme of being hard hearted. I remember when I was at school, um, there was one um, one guy at school and he was just so uh, let's say, so um, harsh and, and, and controlling and domineering. And it was so interesting. He wasn't in my year. He was a younger student. And one day I found out that he, he, when he had first started, his uni- um, started school, he was not like that at all. In fact, he was completely the opposite very soft hearted very open but what had happened and it's a classic story by him being soft hearted and open people had taken advantage of him and it had happened again and again and again and it got to the point that he had become exactly like the people who had taken advantage of him so what i realized is that you have these two extremes just cynical realistic to the point of being cynical or sentimental to the point of being unrealistic, but what's meant to happen is like this. We're meant to stand on the truth and respond with compassion. So what I saw, what I saw very clearly is that in order to to sustain healthy relationships, we want to see the entire truth of an individual, right? So really understand them, but not so we can exploit them, And not so that we can be exploited, but so that we can see how we can best help that person to flourish. It's similar to a doctor giving a diagnosis. The doctor doesn't want to deny if there are some issues or symptoms of illness. The doctor knows. Okay, you're mostly healthy, but you may have an issue with your uh, I don't know your your skin, right? So you're mostly healthy, but you've got a skin rash, or you're mostly healthy, but you've got some acne. I don't deny the area that needs to be worked on, but I also don't magnify that and make that the entire person. Right? So one of my own mentors, what my mentor, a key mentor said once, he said you can trust a thief in your own home as long as you lock away your valuables. <laughs> Which means that actually look, we all have strengths and weaknesses, we all have some great qualities but some flaws as well. So. Are we going to look ourselves away from everyone unless they're perfect? It's not going to happen. What we can do is I see the person in their entirety. I love and respect them in their entirety. The reason why I can do that for them is because I see my own good and bad qualities in their entirety. And I respect both the things which are good. And I also see the things that I can work on. So because I can see my shadow side as well as the other side of myself, I can also respect that when I see it in other people. And then what do I do? Where they're strong, I want to learn from and grow. Where there's an area that needs to be or that could be developed, I want to see how I can inspire them to grow in that particular area as well without being brought down by it. So I think that's the solution. It's Mm -hmm. to love people, but the love has to be based upon the truth. Uh, Some people, I I, I was looking at a lot over the recent years, some people, the reason why they they don't want to see any, let's say, areas of development, is because our love is superficial. If I can't see the person, good and bad, and still love them, it means that there's something wrong with me, much more than it's the issue with them. Like a parent, a good parent will see a child, she knows it's a young child, it's got all these great potential, but if I let the child go too near the fire, that child will burn themselves. If I let the child eat whatever they want, they're just going to eat sweets all day. Right. Now, a real a, a loving parent will still love that child, but she's not or she, he's not in denial of where the child is good. And also the areas where the child can go a bit awry. Does that make some sense? I hope. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. You know, you. I can actually talk to you for for hours and I'm sure you heard this before. Many people maybe told you the same thing because you have such, such wonderful, I I call it gems. So thank you so much for sharing all of that with me or with us. I think it boils down to being aware, aware of yourself, aware of, of your surroundings as well, especially when you are with other people. I've heard this before and I'm not sure, who was the original person that mentioned it it said your true self will show when when you're on your own behind closed doors because in public you can put on a show for anyone and people may regard you as a certain person some people may even put you on a pedestal you know who you are really and most of us are working on ourselves and but i always say a strong person admits on where they, especially life coaches as well, where they need to actually work on and where they, where they're already working on and they're giving advice, how to work on that in terms of tools, do you have any tools to maybe that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different things. And to your point Vaishnavi, mm-hmm. you know, different approaches may resonate more with some people than others and i think that that's the first point to recognize is that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of room for personalization in in this area but for my own journey well Mm -hmm. i found to be very very useful a couple of things we mentioned the journaling Mm -hmm. um, meditation i found to be i mean an incredibly powerful um methodology for development for self-awareness for growth etc
0: meditation i know there are so many different types of meditation and for someone that is actually seeking some sort of way to to meditate i okay i know in my own journey sometimes when you when i when i actually sit down to meditate in the mornings my mind always wanders and i think i've become more aware how to that mind which is taking years I'm still on this journey I haven't perfected it as yet and I'm not sure whether I will but I'm trusting <laughs> the higher being he will be able to help me to tame this mind of mine um how do you what advice do you have for those that maybe are maybe uh inquiring to get onto this journey of meditation maybe they tried it and maybe for them as well the mind was running wild How can you maybe, yeah, tell us how can we learn to tame this mind of ours?
1: Thank you very much. I mean, that's a really, really interesting point. And that's the whole, (laughs) as you said, that's the whole seminar (laughs) in of itself. (laughs) A few things that have worked for me, and I guess we'll work backwards. Yes, the mind, interestingly, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a very wonderful Sanskrit verse, um, chanchalahimana krishna, it says that the mind is chanchalam, which means it's flickering. It's, it's, it kind of goes everywhere except where we wanted it to go. Um, so what I found very useful for me in that journey, first, in order to have the perseverance and the consistency to keep practicing through meditation, what I found really useful is to really understand the long-term benefits of the perseverance. In, um, in many areas of personal development and self-help, people are beginning to realize that the why is more important than the how. And one of the reasons for that is because if I've got a big enough why, it will give me the perseverance to keep going through the good times and the bad times. So what I found as a first key element is to really understand why am I doing meditation? If I've got a very weak motive, then then when I hit the first obstacle, I'll give up go away, and I'll say it doesn't work. But we all know throughout our lives that anything valuable, anything worth, anything that's really made a big difference, it has been something that we've had to work towards, right? The the real gems in life, the great relationships, the great accomplishments, they didn't come overnight and they didn't come cheaply. So for what meditation can bring into an individual's life, benefits such as self-awareness, peace of mind, emotional stability, focus, all these things, these are not cheap things because these are foundational gifts that can help us in literally every other area. They enhance every other area of life. So I think the first key is to understand what's in it for me if I'm able to make this journey. And that's something that can come by regular reading, studying, especially books of wisdom, books in my my, um, journey. I found literatures, Eastern literature such as the Bhagavad Gita to be an incredible revelation in this respect, giving great information about the mind and how it works. That's the first thing. Now what that then does is it sets me up to be consistent and to be determined in terms of my meditation practice. You touched upon something very interesting, which is the time of day. So. In the Eastern traditions, it's it's really understood that you can meditate, and it's beneficial at any time in the day, but especially when it's done in the morning. I call it the effort to output ratio. That when we meditate in the morning, we get more benefit for every minute of effort that we're putting in. Right. So if, if people have an opportunity, I'd say meditation at the beginning of the day, before we go out into the world and do so many other things. Is even more useful I'd say a third factor is that if we keep practicing we start to notice some of the benefits so if I've been meditating in the morning and then I go out into the day and I'm just a bit conscious a little bit aware I notice hold on I'm I'm more focused interesting you know there was a disagreement between myself and someone else I'm not affected or so disturbed by it interesting so i start to notice it's almost like noticing these small um sprouts which are coming out of the ground you've planted a seed and you start to notice oh the seed is is now starting to sprout i'm starting to see oh i'm getting this benefit i'm getting this benefit and what that does is it gives us additional faith and determination to go even more into our meditation practice because we're starting to see some results And the success or these initial results breed even more success because we're getting some some feedback, some positivity. The last thing I'd say is that there are a variety of different meditation practices. One thing that I found to be particularly useful is to meditate in such a way that engages the senses. So there's different ways to do this. One way is to meditate on mantras many years ago I was speaking to some university students and we were sharing with them this idea that we are all the product of a mantra. What we heard, what we were told, how we were told it, especially by our protectors, our caretakers, parents when we were young, it very much embeds itself into our mind. Someone who grew up in an environment where they were told constantly that they are loved, that they're valuable that they're important they can grow up with a very strong sense of self-esteem character self-value of course the other is also true someone who grew up with a mantra where they was just shouted out they were they were always told that whatever they did wasn't good enough they were they were neglected they also have a very negative mantra in their mind so this idea that we're we're the product of a mantra and in the in the eastern traditions especially mantras or sound vibrations which consist of divine names are considered to be the most powerful form of mantra because what they do is they quickly bring the consciousness and the awareness to a very very high level of functioning and a high level of realization and awareness so you know there's many different practices but i found these to be particularly insightful elements if we want to begin and sustain a meditation practice and to reap the results of meditation practice very quickly
0: wow that's absolutely amazing it looks like we have to have a another podcast maybe <laughs> You have well, a vast amount of knowledge to share and i don't think an hour is sufficient we went a little bit over that as well but thank you so much for being here but before you go thank you. I, this season, I included something a little different. It's more of a small game where we, my audience gets to know you better. And i well, I also get to know you better. Are you ready? We can start. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> One word that describes you. Right. Okay. One word that, that you want to embody.
1: One word that I want to embody.
0: Embody. Lovely. And one word that describes the change you want to see in this world.
1: Devotion.
0: Lovely. Okay, this is not a, a one word answer. It's more of a, maybe a short explanation. Can you tell us more about your evening and morning routine?
1: Okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my evening routine, I, I, I've i been playing around with this for many years, and I think it was around the beginning of the pandemic, I, 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 I got some inspiration in the heart. And from that point onwards, what I started doing, I would divide my day into three areas. It's, it's actually based upon some some interesting research I came across. Mm-hmm. In ancient times, the the kings of the East, they would they would break their day down into three different areas. The morning time, and this is what I tried to do with my morning time, the morning time was really a time for meditation. It was a time for contemplation. It was a time for planning and strategizing for the day ahead. So one of the things I do in the morning, I, to be honest, I usually wake up early mm-hmm. and what I'll do is either in my own home or in at like a certain center where others are, you know, of a similar a mindset i'll engage in some kind of meditation practice etc so i would use the morning period for that the the vedic or the eastern kings they would use the afternoon for execution for activity so what i tend to do is you know obviously work and my main days activities will be done at that particular period and then what they would do is the evening was the time for wind down and for socializing So what I tend to do is use my evening to kind of wind down, bring the day's activities to a close, to socialize, spend friends with loved ones, friends and family, etc. And and also, naturally, as a result of planning out the day in that way, I find that in the evening, I get more time to just reflect on how the day has gone. Linking back to what you said earlier about self-awareness. So it's almost an opportunity to review the day in, in a calm environment where you're not running around anymore you're just reflecting how did that go what did i do well what what could i do differently what lessons can i learn so that i can take those lessons that gift and use that gift to have a better tomorrow so i try to use the gifts of today to plant the seeds of a better tomorrow so that's how i i break down my day
0: absolutely beautiful thank Thank you so much for that this is a very interesting one i was actually contemplating on it a few months ago and in fact everyone that i had this season asked asking the same question <laughs> okay you are stranded on a deserted island and you are given the opportunity to take only three things with you what would those three things be
1: okay first of all my meditation um beads that's the first one um second i can take three things any three things uh, okay the second one is a notepad so actually, if I can't take the because I was going to say notepad and, ten, and pen, will that count as two things or one? You can have to give, give me an answer. For that. Um,
0: okay, we can make an exception because it's small. Hey,
1: fantastic. <laughs> okay, so notepad and pen, so I can definitely do continue my reflective activities. And then the third one, I would take a book of wisdom, I would take the Bhagavatam because that literature, there's so much tremendous insight there. And, and it, it's very nourishing in many, many different ways. So I'll take those three things.
0: Okay, very interesting. Just being inquisitive right now. Good. The Bhagavatam, there's so many cantos, which one will you take?
1: <laughs> ah, <that's, laughs> first canto.
0: Okay, beautiful. First okay. Okay, this is also something that I introduced this uh, season. Just trying to build my community and get people that are vibrating on a higher level, change makers, people that are also very really into changing this, the frequency of the world. You know, um, do you have any best recommendations for mindful tendencies podcast? You know, leaders like I said, change makers, someone that would impact our community in a positive way.
1: Yeah, actually, I know they're very they're very dear to me. There's um. There are two people I know, two friends of mine. And, and I think they, they were both former monks. How They're beautiful. based in New York. They have a wonderful project called Upbuild. Okay. And what they've been doing with their project, reaching out to the corporate communities and, and, and other communities as well. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a fantastic framework around personal development and especially around understanding the ego the challenges that come from the ego and how, how we can bring the he- ego to more of a healthy and ultimate, you could even say a, a level of self-realization and self-actualization. And they're both very deep individuals with tremendous integrity. Um, yeah, their names are Harry and Rasana. And um, I think that they're, yeah, they're really, really um, in, very insightful. And it's not, as we said before, it's not just insight that's coming on a superficial level. They very much really work at embodying, and I'd say do embody the, the same principles and tenets that they share with various corporate and other communities, um, both in America and, and, and I'm sure around the world as well.
0: Wow, that think yeah, they sound amazing. So please, please get me in touch with them. I mean, yeah, yeah connect touch, us. Definitely. Thank, you definitely. thank you so much. Before we start winding down, do you have any thoughts, parting thoughts for us?
1: Yeah, I think in conclusion, what I'd say is the following. I think that this is a time for humanity. Even though we have so much going on around us, so much information that's coming at us. I think that in this modern period, this this COVID situation, which hopefully is coming to a close, I think that life is is trying to send us three messages. The first one is reflection. I think that this is an opportunity for us to turn a little bit more inwards and to reflect upon the life that we're living and where we are going and is that the direction or the conclusion or the destination that we want? And if not, through reflection, how can we reorient our lives to honor more of our real deep human needs and, and even our, I'd say, our higher order needs for self-actualization, self-realization. So the first lesson is reflection. The second lesson is relationship. In this time of increasing um, polarization, I think that there's, there's a real need to ref, um, to build relationships by understanding more and more about what unites us so that we can truly honor diversity because we're all rooted on at the level of unity so to have the unity and diversity in a in a very healthy relationship together so the first point we said was reflection the second is relationship rebuilding deep relationships by understanding and respecting each other even though we may look at the world and have different perspectives on how things are so Reflection, relationship. The third one is resilience. But mm-hmm. in order for us to, to navigate to a better future, I think one of the lessons that we may take away from the, from the last two years, the pandemic, etc., is that we want to live a lifestyle which is more aligned with nature, mm-hmm. which brings us the benefits of greater natural immunity, greater health. If, some, if we're in, in good health normally, then we're less susceptible to any situation that may come up, any particular epidemic, pandemic, et cetera, mm-hmm. because we're in a stronger position vis a vis the challenges that are coming at us in the world situation. So we don't know what can come in the future. And I think that's one of the key things we've seen over this last two years. Mm-hmm. We can't be sure what's coming, but what we can control is what we are. Mm-hmm. As we build our capacities, physical capacities in terms of health, emotional capacities in terms of relationship, um, mental capacities in terms of mindfulness, meditation, etc. We put ourselves in the strongest position, not only to survive the future, but to thrive by making the future a better tomorrow than the one we are existing in today.
0: That was absolutely amazing, mind-blowing. <laughs> so thank you so much for all of that, James. So to Mindful Trinity viewers, follow Ed um, on social media. And take both of us in your favorite segment of this conversation. And we both are looking forward to hearing what you took from this conversation. And yeah, just learning from you as well, because through you, we can also learn on, you know, in terms of what, we want to see in this world and how we want this world to move forward how we want to move forward in this world as well so thank you Ed for your time thank you for the gems that you kindly shared with us and thank you for your unconditional love it's because of your love and authenticity you are able to help so many out there and all the best in your journey looking forward to the day we officially meet in person and maybe it'll be Someday soon, like you said, hopefully this pandemic will change or yeah, come to an end. <laughs> and again, thank you to the, our viewers. In this, if this podcast resonated with you, give us a like, share it with heart, like-hearted souls. You never know who may need to hear this message and leave us a review so that we can reach more like-hearted individuals. Like I always say, healed people heal people. So let's go out there and heal. So that we too can heal people and ultimately change the frequency of this world. sending you loads of love and positive vibrations from my heart to yours. Bye. Researchers say that westerners are progressively taking to embracing the cow for hours as a healing therapy for countless illnesses such as anxiety, stress, depression etc. According to ancient text Srimad Bhagavatam, Protection of cows is the single most important principle towards saving the whole world from both moral and spiritual degradation. Simply by protection of cows, all the wonderful benefits of religiosity and piety will be automatically achieved without any separate endeavour. Join us on the 5th of March in the sanctity of the cows as we unleash the power within. Join our tribe and let's all vibe together with cow therapy, yoga, journaling, and much, much more. Looking forward to seeing you and healing, growing, and moving forward together. If this podcast resonates with you, please like, follow, subscribe, leave us a review, and share it with other like-hearted individuals.